Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. This is Jay, the curator of The Stacks. And I'm Shanabu Express. Shanabu Express? That's not bad. That's something. It's, it's better it's than the last something. one. something. <laughs> hey, hey uh, last one would have worked great if we did a different movie. <laughs> they're, they're based on the movie, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so our... our our main feature this week is the 1985 Andy Sedaris film Malibu Express, the first in his Malibu Bay films. Sort of a shared universe that uh, people don't really know about because people are really only aware of Hard Ticket to Hawaii for the most part. But these are all a shared universe. Like these are movies that kind of all connect to each other. Uh, Seven isn't part of it, but it's the same vibe. Same vibe, and at least one character carries over into a future movie. Yes. Um, I I don't know if any others do, but the one does. But he doesn't. Not into this one. Right. But yeah, like a bunch of them sort of appear. Well, the skateboard guy is a different guy in oh, Hard to Get to Why. Well, a different character because they get killed in both of them. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, I, I was. But I, it's I thought the same it was, actor playing yeah, essentially the same character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is the first one that's actually Malibu Bay films. Uh, this is from 85 and 7 was like 1979 and that was working for a studio. This is where he goes independent. And then I think all of them after this are produced by his wife, Arlene. So it's like a family business. <laughs> imagining this is a family business <laughs> i know and like they're like they're she clearly just gets his his vibe and stuff like the two of them do the commentary on malibu express on the disc and you know they they clearly have a similar sense of humor and just kind of get it uh, they're they're both very amused by lots of boobs and car chases <laughs> and stuff like it's just great so many boobs. Just all boobs. This is you, like, you could almost call it boobs the movie. Every single scene, there is nudity. Uh, so this stars a Cody Ab or our main character is Cody Abilene, uh, played by Darby Hinton. This guy is so stupid. Like his whole he's thing. So... <laughs> his his whole thing is like he's hot and he's good at sex. Uh, so he's really good at pleasuring the ladies so that they're the ones who are capable and can help him out through the caper. But he doesn't re he's not really good at stuff other than sex. <laughs> Just, no, he's good at nothing else. <laughs> but he's got like a whole team of women around him who are very capable of like doing anything else that needs to be done. Yeah, yeah. And it's clear that when something else needs to be done, he they don't want him around. <laughs> Yeah, well, he's just a disaster with a gun. <laughs> he's terrible. Uh, notably, Darby Hinton is best known as playing the son of Daniel Boone on the old Disney TV series. Oh, that was wow. Like, he's a, he was a child star. And that, that was like where he started. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, kind of weird. Uh, like this would, would have been one of his first big adult roles. Yeah, he's, he's just ripped. <laughs> he looks great. Uh, and it opens with him pulling up in a red DeLorean, which is amazing. <laughs> yep, to this, pulling up to this angular, super modern building that 
turns out to be a shooting range, but definitely is not actually a shooting range. I, I thought it was supposed to be like a CIA building or something. I mean, it would something that has a shooting range in it. Yeah, I mean, it's probably Silicon Valley area. It, it seems like a tech company. It's very modern. It's. I noticed that there were no other cars in the parking lot, which leads me to believe, one, nobody else is working at this building, or two, this guy is not supposed to park there. I mean, I assume he's not, but he's Cody Abilene, so he parks wherever he, he wants. He parks wherever he wants to. But he's... <laughs> He's such the funny thing is he's not like cocky and arrogant. He's just a really nice guy. Yeah. And he's just dumb. He's he's, he's just, cool. <laughs> <laughs> he he just walks with purpose. Like he he steps out of his So the red DeLorean, by the way, a, a DeLorean that someone had painted red, which is unusual because DeLoreans were an unpainted cars, they were silver. Uh but, Oh, okay. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think I'd ever seen one read before but i also don't think i'd ever seen one without rockets so right well like they, they were just all silver uh they they were unpainted cars that was sort of one of the details of them so uh andy sedaris just knew someone who had a delorean that they'd painted red so he borrowed it for a couple scenes because <laughs> it, it looks cool yeah the, this is the sort of movie that you know you throw a cool car in there that's production value the the sort oh. of the the Andy Sedaris way. <laughs> oh, lots of lots of interesting cars and uh, lots of races that don't need to happen, but do anyway. A lot of races. Uh, and, and that's sort of, yeah, like we talked a bit, the, a bit about this with Seven, that Andy Sedaris's thing is just you're always going to have something new thrown at you in every single scene to keep you interested. Mm hmm. <laughs> So he steps out of the DeLorean. He's got aviators on. He's looking cool as hell. He's got this goofy cow print briefcase, which is a velvet lined <laughs> briefcase for his gun. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so just looking at it like, oh, man, this guy's going to be such like a super cop or whatever, like the ultimate bounty hunter. He can't hit anything. Well, like it's such a great setup. This whole scene feels like a work of art to me because like you know he, he opens up this cow print briefcase and it's this nice revolver in a, a velvet lined case he picks it out he puts the bullets in and the guy's like moving or stationary is very purposely moving and he <laughs> shoots every bullet and not a single one even hits the target uh, he breaks something he shoots something off the ceiling <laughs> yeah like a light or something and then <laughs> Even after that, he does this cool guy look into the camera. He puts the gun up and he blows the smoke off the barrel. <laughs> after having completely blown it. <laughs> like, that's that's perfect. Like, what a work of art that just he still does the cool action hero things like, yeah, <laughs> nailed it. I love this character. He's very likable. Just so much charm. <laughs> and that is his superpower because that's, you know, how he has all of these women. And like, there are more women that we hear about him having than actually even appear in the movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. It's just all of his background. 
<laughs> like so, we, we don't even see all the sex scenes happen. Someone will just walk up to him sometimes, and he'll just like kind of look up at the sky, like I don't have time for this. He's like, ah, oh, I guess I have to have sex again. <laughs> it gets in the way of his life. It's it's like it's it's how he transacts everything in his life. So like we meet the first girl. Uh, he's he's quote unquote dating. I think they mention him sort of dating this race car driver uh, named June Knockers. June Knockers with an H. With an H in the like K H Knockers, and like you know we we watch her racing and then he goes inside into the change room and. Oh, boobs. It's like, wow, June Knockers gets nude in this? What are you... I, I'm so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think she's supposed to be the main girlfriend. I don't know. I, I, At I, least initially, that's what it seemed like, but then yeah. there's a whole bunch guy, more. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, this guy isn't dating one person. No, he, he is in an open relationship with all of the women of Texas. So... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, we he he just meets up with her uh, and we we get some boobs and it's basically just to set her and her photographer friend up for later because we will have a big chase scene later involving them but right now they don't actually do anything. There yeah there's there's a lot of the characters in this that I had a really hard time following the plot. Fortunately he explains it at the end kind of or yeah he does. I mean, not I, not I, quite as thoroughly as in Clue, but that's right. probably for the best. Well, that would just be incredibly long because he'd probably have to go into all the Buffington's races and just do, it wouldn't oh be necessary. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> um, he, he would spend a lot of time on those because you'd think his biggest weakness is sex, but it isn't because he does sometimes refuse sex. His actual biggest weakness is the races. Yeah, I guess so, because, like, there is a scene where he refuses sex and then immediately has to have a stupid race with the Buffingtons. Like, you didn't have sex with those two girls and instead had a race with these idiots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> I, well, we'll get into it. I, actually, I don't know when we'll get into it because the races are just completely random and I don't know when they happen in relation to anything else. It comes up in a little bit. I'll, I'll note it when we get there. Uh, but first, we have a little bit more character detail on him. So one thing is that he likes to drive around narrating into a tape recorder. So he, he was doing it before <laughs> Twin Peaks did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like to just kind of imagine he he ends up like the Wonder Years narrator. Oh, um, yeah. And, and like that song or whatever plays over. A turn, turn, turn. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yes. Or I, I guess, is it with a little help from my friends, the no, theme song? But I, I know the the one is Turn, Turn, Turn is kind of the, the cliche That's the one. meme one. I, yeah. I don't know if it is the Wonder Years, but that's the one from the meme. Yeah, the... I think it is. And then Wonder the opening theme song is Joe Cocker's. Uh, yes. With a little help from my friends. Haven't seen that show in 25 years. <laughs> no, same, same. Uh, so the other thing is he lives on a boat like Job. Arrested <laughs> <laughs> development. Uh, the, the movie is named after the boat. The mo the boat is the Malibu Express. And, and he's got a wall to the pier or to like that makes it look like the 
it makes it look like the boat is it's it's hard to explain he put up a wall on the dock basically yeah it's like a gate like his own personal gate but it's a painting of a caboose yep and the yacht club owner doesn't like it Right, and it's a tribute to his mother who died in a rail accident. She was a really big fan of high-speed rail. Oh. <laughs> Just a random detail that he, that he mentions there. Oh, I missed that. Oh. And he also mentions that he's always getting lost just out in the out on the sea with his all-girl crew, who we never meet. <laughs> who <laughs> misses not appearing in this movie. Yeah, we meet all these women, but not these women. No, these ones, we just know that it's another thing. And it's like that scene later when he's at the gym and he's just looking at all of these hot ladies and he's like, been with that one and that one and that one. And like, oh, Sandra and oh, Katie. And a little <laughs> bit of Patty in the gym. Yeah. A bit to... <laughs> it's, it's very Wombo number five. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and uh, while we're on the... T- while we're on the subject of uh, that, the credit, the opening credits has like all the stuff that you expect, you know, director written by. Uh, and then halfway through, it changes to Playboy Bunnies and then it just keeps listing more of the Playboy. There's more Playboy Bunny credits in the opening credits than everything else combined. There are two screens for Playboy Bunnies who are, appear in this movie. I, I forgot to mention the opening credits. That's kind of a hallmark of the Andy Sedaris films. They're really great. I really like the look of his opening credits. They always oh, have yeah. kind of a neat design to them. And in this one, it's uh, it's a secretary type lady just typing out the opening credits on a DOS computer. Yeah, like doing data entry. So like you'll have DOS screens and then you'll also cut to her like typing and you'll see her looking at it and stuff. It's a little more modest than some of them will be. Obviously, Hard Ticket to Y is a lot more elaborate because it's uh, on shipping boxes. That one would have been interesting to fit to film, actually, come to think of it, because you have to mm. like plan all that. Yeah. But but this one was this one was cool, too. Yeah, it's it's a little simpler, but I like uh. it. it. It's got kind of a style to it. So he gets to he goes to visit his boat and he meets his two new neighbors, these two girls who have shown up to use his shower and bang him. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and and always he's just like, how did you get past security? How did you get past my security? And like you, you live on a boat, <laughs> <laughs> but he's got a door, a gate, a wall. You can't just you can't just go around. I guess. I I mean, they're they're in one of You're the other boats, so to. maybe they swam over. I guess they swam over. Ah, uh, that's not what you do. That's not how it goes. <laughs> yeah, they they just show up in his boat. So as... meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, while he's getting to know the new neighbors, they don't actually have sex. They're just like teasing him. They they want to, but like he's on the go all the time. Uh, and yeah. first, they want to use the shower. But it cuts to our plot starting to move into motion, where we have Sybil Danning, who's very little in this movie. Yeah, she's only she's pretty high up in the credits, but she's only in like maybe three or four scenes. Yeah, I think she's credited as like special guest, too. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Or maybe she's the and. Uh, but she shows up in this red dress with wraparound shades, and she's a super spy named Contessa Luciana. Uh, spoiler alert, she did it. I don't know what it is, but she did it. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it over the course. Uh, so the thing is her friend, Lady Chamberlain, is 
compromised in some sort of way, uh, according to, I, I think it's Doug with the CIA, who's also friends with Cody, and he's assigning Cody to the case because Sybil can't be on the case because she knows Lady Chamberlain and I guess like, you know, they, they need to send someone. Someone who doesn't know and like, like the, the someone thing is, real it's, dumb. It's set, up, it's set up as if it's a spy thing. And yeah, it, it doesn't feel like a spy thing when it's happening until. No. And there's a few things about it that really don't seem to be, especially because she seems to know him when he shows up and she knows his name. Just like, oh, yeah, you're Cody Abilene. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, she's probably slept with him before. I mean, yeah, probably. And like it cuts back from Sybil and uh, her boss to the neighbors in the shower because we got to have some TNA. We we got to cut back to some. Oh yeah, we, it's almost speech. been like five seconds. Yeah, you you can't have exposition without nudity. Why, why would you do that? There's always nudity in exposition scenes in this movie. Yep. <laughs> like without exception. Uh, and so while they're having the shower, Cody receives a text from either Sybil or Doug. On this like crazy ultra beeper thing he has, oh, like it can yeah. receive text it's... messages. Uh, well, I don't know how pagers are supposed to work. They're like wizard technology to me. So if you tell me a pager can receive a text message, I'm just like, okay, sure. Um, and is that weird? I mean, it seems to be because it's a huge one too. It's not just like a little beeper. It's like a whole giant interface. It's like he has a satellite phone. <laughs> but of course. You know, he, he receives the text, so he has to go before he can inspect their privates. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. he is a private inspector. Private inspector. <laughs> they they do make the joke, of course. They make, oh yeah. <laughs> Andy Sedaris loves a good corny joke. <laughs> so, sorry ladies, gotta go. <laughs> gotta go. We we can't do it right now. Uh, have to do this important case or whatever. Yeah. And he goes to see Sybil. And this is like the one scene we have her in until I think the very end of the movie. Uh, she he shows up at her house. She's got a very open robe. And then she like goes into another room and changes into her third outfit in two scenes. Yeah. <laughs> absurd red sequined outfit. Oh, yeah. She she <laughs> she goes through a lot of wardrobe changes. Cody just either wears a shirt or doesn't wear a shirt that's all he gets yeah uh and the two of them bang of course of course an extended sex scene yeah and then it's time for our first appearance of the buffingtons (laughs) so so uh the buffingtons are like this family of hillbillies Mm -hmm. uh that just for some reason they have to race cody abilene and prove that their cars are faster than his cars and for some reason he has to accept it's this long-standing family grudge they they mention it going back to some sort of beef with his dad oh it's the abilenes and the buffingtons then yeah uh an interesting note the mother of the buffington family is a drag performer named oh. busty o'shea <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Th- that's sort of an interesting element in these movies. There are drag performers in pretty much all of Andy Sedaris's movies. Hmm. There's two in this one. Right? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm a big fan of Stuart. 
great character. Maybe oh, my wow. favorite yeah. character. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the reaction to him, too, when we get there. So many good things with him. He's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so this is where, like, I have my notes. Like, you have time for this totally gratuitous race, but not for a threesome with your hot neighbors? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, he can have sex whenever he wants, but if he doesn't take the race with these guys, they might go away or shake <laughs> their fist at him. Yeah, I mean, fist shaking does seem to be their kind of thing that they would do. They He does kind of drive away with them shaking their fists at him at like the last time, but, you know, after he finally wins. But it is interesting that he loses these races. Oh, yeah, he doesn't win the races until the very end. Because like this first time they're, you know, they, they've, they're fast and furious out. They've got the knock, the, the NO2. So they yeah. they pull that out and beat him, but it destroys their car in the, in the doing thereof. It's actually like this one is a plot point because mm. it's, there's nothing wrong with his DeLorean. But this is why he takes it to the shop, because he figures there must be something wrong with it because it loses to these guys. So that's why he has... The red right. Ford that hurts himself, or the the black Ford that black Buick, he, or is it a Buick? Okay, uh, Buick. whatever it is, it clearly hurts his self esteem in the next couple scenes and <laughs> throws him off balance. Although to be fair, it seems much more reasonable if he's going undercover. Uh, a red DeLorean is the least undercover vehicle imaginable. Right, right below <laughs> the Homer, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So he, you know, he shows up in a black Buick to his supposedly undercover gig, which, you know, does make a little bit more sense. Yeah. This is also where we have our one of the first introductions of this song that comes up over and over again. This country music track fell in love with the girl in the centerfold. Ugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's some very bad, cheesy country music on this soundtrack. <laughs> Yes. Hello, I like to imagine that the Cody wrote it. <laughs> I like to imagine that Cody wrote it himself. Could be. So he shows up at the Chamberlain estate. He meets Lady Lily Chamberlain and her servant Shane, who's super sus. <laughs> Shane is like evil bizarro Cody. Cody uses his sex for good. Shane can get infinite sex, but he uses it for evil and grossness. Yeah, although, interestingly, Shane also is, like, everyone wants Shane's dick, and Shane is giving it out to everybody as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, like, like, like he's the evil Cody. Yeah, and... Yeah. Like, Lady Chamberlain talks to Cody, and, like, clearly she already seems to know him. That That's the weird thing. She's like, oh, hey, Cody. Yeah, <laughs> And it was just weird, like, up to that point, I was like, why is he taking a red DeLorean to his undercover thing? Like, okay, he's changing to a black Buick. That's more reasonable. Like, wait, he's not even undercover at all. Isn't this a spy mission? Because <laughs> she's yeah, supposed to be compromised in some is, ways. What is know. he? What is the cover of what he's supposed to be doing here? That's the I, part I could never figure out. I feel like it doesn't even exist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to investigate something. And like, she is like, yeah, something's going on behind my back in this house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But she doesn't and know what. She's just got to open stuff. your eyes for like, well, yeah, there, there is a lot of stuff. 
And I mean, all of the help are crooked and it's really obvious because there's also Maid Marion, who she describes as really off the wall. Oh, yeah, she's working for someone, too. I think she's working for the same people. Because like, oh, maybe there is a scene later on where she's part of like a phone chain. Uh, one of the things that I really like about Lady Chamberlain or that I think is really funny is she uses a bullhorn to call Shane. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like for ten, for about a second, you feel bad because like, you know, people treating the help like this is right. just terrible. But Shane deserves it. Shane definitely deserves it and probably made Marion as well because they're both criminals who are involved in a whole blackmail game here. And and gross. They're pretty gross. Yeah. So first we find that Shane is sleeping with Anita. Like that's what she interrupts him with the bullhorn. He he's sleeping with Anita who is Chamberlain's nephew Stuart's wife. And we also find in this scene uh through his conversation that he's an ex-convict. The the shit the the chain chain. Next? Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. So we, we set all of that up, and then we have our gratuitous scene where Cody looks at hot girls in the gym with a whole <laughs> bunch of like he's like, oh, you know, he's doing his Mambo number five deal, and we see all of these hot girls, and then we see two really buff guys who are like giving him looks, who who like, like are mad at him for some reason. Oh yeah, like huge bodybuilder like Arnold Schwarzenegger type guys. Yeah, one of them is a Mr. Universe winner, and the other one I think was Mr. Arizona. Oh right, yeah, they. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, in addition to Playboy Playmates, he likes to get big bodybuilder dudes who are like big buff guys. Like he 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 is totally interested in playing to every element of the audience. He 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 does not want to exclude anyone. True. <laughs> <laughs> And what I love about this scene where he's looking at all the hot girls in the gym, which is so gratuitous, is that it cuts to another gratuitous scene of Anita in lingerie just writhing on the floor on all fours. <laughs> oh, yeah. It just cuts back and forth to that and, like, in the middle of the gym scene. And you don't know what she's even doing there or why. It's like we just kind of randomly dropped into a Playboy video. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. And we have, after, like, whatever Anita's doing, then Shane attacks Liza in the shower. And it's sort of initially played as a rape scene, but she gets into it. Something that you don't really see anymore, but was kind of a, yeah. a common thing in the 70s. Uh, yeah, but yeah. It's it's for blackmail too. We we see that he has a camera set up to tape it. Yeah. Now my first interpretation is that the camera wasn't for blackmail initially, and that he just figured out later on that he could use it that way. <laughs> uh, I figured the camera was for being gross. Well, there do seem to be cameras everywhere in this house. Yes. Um, like, but everyone's taping. I. But he is also definitely using them to be gross. Oh, yes, absolutely. In addition to blackmail. And we see during the scene that Stuart, who is uh, obviously queer, like mm -hmm. uh, very clearly queer coded uh, before we, we learn more about him. Uh, he's the nephew and we see him peeping on them. So he knows what's going on here. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, the, 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 when I watched it, this whole like the whole family drama just went right over my head. I, know, I was just like so much. just following Cody and just like I like trees, I like <laughs> boobs, I like when the birds are chirping. I really like it when the birds are chirping and I'm having sex. He is he is a pure innocent in a weird sort of way. He's very he, lovable. He, he reminds me of if Cal from undergrads grew up to become a private eye. Yeah. <laughs> See, like, I've seen and tried movie... to get his acts together and like do things other than sex, but couldn't quite manage it. Right. Like I've seen this movie five or six times. So I do have a pretty clear idea of all the complicated little convolutions, but that's the thing with all of these Sedaris movies is they're packed with plot. There, there's oh, yeah, so it's... much incident. Yeah, there's so much, like, <laughs> and it, it doesn't feel like you're expected to follow it because you're just, it also shows you stuff visually like, hey, look, boobs, guns, explosions, boobs, guns, boobs, fighting guns, right, plot, but also boobs. It's that sports entertainment. It's like, we're always going to have something happening that you want to look at no matter what we have to communicate plot wise. Oh my god, that's that's exactly what it is too. That's like yeah. sports entertainment. That's like the same exact kind of like hook that mm, that well, wrestling like, has. I, as we mentioned with uh, Seven, Andy Sedaris got his start with like Wide World of Sports. Like that was his thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's effective. It's very effective. Uh, so Cody talks to Liza, uh, and they're outside by the pool, and Shane and Anita are inside having sex. And we we find out that Shane, this is where he reveals that he has a sinister videotape that he's going to blackmail Anita with. So this is the first revelation of him blackmailing someone. It turns out he's blackmailing everybody because he's slept with everybody and taped it. <laughs> just like, so to uh, just, to, so Cody has to go in and sleep with everyone to unevil them because Shane I don't know. Yeah, no, he, this wasn't. <laughs> no, he he just has to have sex with them to uh, make them feel better for having sex with the bad guy. You know, he's yeah, the good guy, so they get get to sleep with the good guy this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Cody and Liza go to visit this guy Jonathan Harper, who she is investing in. I I think he's supposed to be starting a club, but it just turns out he's crooked. Yeah, it's, it's obvious he's crooked right away. Like. So, like, I, I don't really know what his deal is or what he's supposed to be doing, but he sends three thugs after Cody immediately after they leave. Oh, yeah, that's right. So the three thugs are the two bodybuilders and this not bodybuilder. Right. And it's it's kind of a fun fake out because, you know, they, they surround Cody and he punches the two bodybuilders. No problem. <laughs> yeah. They, they go down like punks. But then he goes to punch the third guy in the stomach, and he has a concealed machine gun <laughs> there, and he just hurts his hand on it. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's also funny that the third guy proves to be much the much more dangerous out of the, out of all of them. The bodybuilders are kind of like cream buffs. They really are. Uh, but the other guy, you know, he gets it. <laughs> he knows he's an evil henchman. Yeah. Uh, so they shoot up his car. I think this is the Buick still, and they yeah. leave him in the desert. So 
somehow he just goes wandering through the desert and ends up at a random car lot on the edge of the desert somewhere. Oh, I, I can tell you how. He just activated his... Uh... His hot poon girl sense? Proxim- <laughs> yes, his hot girl poon sense. And it's like, the nearest hot girl is in this direction. Therefore, if I go in this direction, I will find civilization and water. Yeah. And obviously, there's the it's, it's a lady, hot lady, who runs the car lot, and she wants that dick. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I, need, I need to rent, or I need, like, your fastest car or whatever. And she's like, I'm... Or, no, yeah, I need the fastest thing here. And she's like, I'm the fastest, fastest thing, thing here. here. And he just <laughs> looks up. He's like, oh, mercy. He's like, huh, again. So he bangs her and she gives him a Dotson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we even see the banging. No, it, it cuts to implied. him. It's the same. Okay, so, you know, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, uh, that, that scene where Gary Busey uh, pulls over Hunter Thompson and then, like, He's driving away like, you know, Gary Busey's just weird to him. And then he's like, I felt like I was raped. <laughs> this is almost it the same thing. That. It's, it's him driving away in the Datsun. It just cuts to him driving away. And he describes it as being raped as part of his. He's he gives this itinerary of like, well, this was a bullshit trip to Palm Springs. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, I got my car blown up. Uh, all this stuff. I was raped. Yeah, that like, never comes up again. Like it seems like it was a transaction more than anything in this case, but yeah, it's it's like okay, I guess this is how I pay for a car. And so Cody gets back to the house and he hears Shane start to blackmail Anita, or like Anita is or he reveals his blackmail scheme to her, and Cody overhears some of it. So he knows that Shane is blackmailing people now. Right, right. Um, to his credit, Cody legitimately does try to do his job all the time like, he's really trying <laughs> he's just so funny. i love this character so, i thought i would hate him but i love him so I know, much he's just so likable it's it's just there's a purity to it and and the the, the thing with all of Sedaris's work is there's a lot of this it seems like it would be really regressive and sexist and you know it has so much tna and it's, you know, it, it it's constant sex, but like, there's this weird family friendliness to it all. Yeah, like like this movie would have been rife for a like super macho type hero guy, but we get this kind of we get this bumbling sweetheart. Yeah, so we get Shane taking Stuart out to a club incognito in a limo, uh, because. Stuart is a drag performer. He he performs drag on the sly uh, at the Screaming Cockatoo. Great, <laughs> great bar name. Oh, I love I love bar names. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like fictional ones are good, but real ones are just as good sometimes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and Shane is trying to blackmail Stuart as well because there's a sex tape of them too. <laughs> yep. Yep. But Stuart's um, reactions to this are always my favorite. They're so great. He's like, no, I don't care. No, you can't blackmail me. Just tell her. I don't like, give a shit. Yeah. And like Shane will be like, I sure hope Stuart comes through with the money. And it's like, Stuart <laughs> specifically told you he will not come through with the money. Yeah. <laughs> like you do not have anything on this, on this man. Yeah. 
and like Cody is tailing them. And I really like that we, we see Stuart get out in drag and Cody acknowledges like he's pretty hot in drag. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> well, I think he says something like, wow, Stuart just turned into the most gorgeous woman I ever saw. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just smiling like this is cool. Yeah. And then we have a dinner party. And this big dinner party is where things start to coalesce. So there's this guy named Dick who's, I guess, with the mob. Oh, yeah. Shane owes him money, and this guy is so impatient. Yeah, he says, we control the catering service. You know that. (laughs) Dick controls big catering. (laughs) (laughs) Shane owes him money, man. Yeah. So, so... So this yeah, is where Shane's like, well, I hope Stuart comes through with the money. And he goes to pressure Stuart for money. And he's like, no, <laughs> still a no. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> and then like two seconds later, Dick's like, you've been avoiding me, Shane? It's, like, it's been two seconds. Oh, yeah. No, th- this is one of my biggest laughs in the movie because he he calls Stuart on a phone from elsewhere in the party because he's in like the his little pool house. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And he he calls Stuart a fag, hangs up the phone, and immediately gets pistol whipped. <laughs> 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 and I, I really like that Dick comes in. He's got the gun in one hand and a knife in the other. He really means business. <laughs> <laughs> so he cuts uh, Shane's face. He gives his pretty face a little cut. Oh, no. That's, you just killed Shane's superpower. That's his moneymaker. And he yeah. goes back to the party with the cut on his face and Stuart calls him a slut. <laughs> uh, so good. Uh, he, just, he just completely no-sells the whole blackmailing the whole time. <laughs> I love it. And then like the, the whole party is just everybody shitting on Shane and then Shane is in his room and someone comes in in a trench coat and stabs him. And they take the sex tape. Yep, uh, we we don't get a good look at the person, but they look female. Mm-hmm. But we don't, we can't tell. Right, and Shane takes a picture. He he like grabs a camera and takes a picture of the assailant, and then is shot uh, using a silencer, notably because nobody else hears this. Yeah, and he gets shot again in the head with like a small caliber round, so it doesn't kill him instantly. Because he does this crazy thing, he picks up the TV. And then he spins falling out the door. (laughs) (laughs) He really wanted to. I I thought he was like trying to send some kind of a message with the TV. Like that was supposed to. Yeah. I mean, that's what he did with the camera. Yeah. Which was good thinking. The TV, I don't get. But, you know, maybe when you're like in your last dying moments, maybe you don't think things through to the end. I I don't know. I haven't been there. He did have a bullet in his head by that point. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I, I really like this. This is a really great shot because it has him spinning, falling out the door. And then it's like a match cut to Cody diving off the diving board into the pool the next day. Oh, yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> it really it, That's right. It works really well. Like, like I thought Shane had, like, fallen into some water. And I was like, wait, they're not right. on a boat. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's bright out all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's Shane and I think Liza are out by the pool and like they, they see the, some, the, sh- the, 
the sun shines off some of the broken glass from him falling through, like from him lying dead in the in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> so they find Shane's body. Yeah. And Anita is meanwhile in the pool house looking for the tape, and Marion is also peeping in one of the windows. It's like everybody That's... is here. That's kind of Marion's signature move, peeping in windows. Yeah, she's usually just peeping somewhere and wearing her ridiculous, sexy French maid outfit. Like, it, it's one of those, it's like something from a party village rather than, you know, an actual uniform. Yeah, yeah, this is, it's it's a sexy Halloween costume, not a maid outfit. Yeah. Uh, I re- <laughs> Anita's line to Cody when she when she's caught looking for the tape in uh, the pool room is, I just got here. Uh, it's a shock, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody seems really broken up about Shane's death. Yeah, rip Shane. Uh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, but Cody finds the bloody camera, and he's like, "Okay, I'll just hang on to this." And he he hides the film in his gun holster. Mm-hmm. And for Which... some reason, <laughs> please go ahead. I don't remember him ever taking it out. I th- and oh, he so... does. He gets okay, it developed. Okay. Uh, so what, there's a weird thing here, and this is one of the other recurring interstitial gags, kind of like the Buffingtons, where for whatever reason, anytime he wants to call someone, he calls his friend Sally's sex line. <laughs> I think that's just the only phone number he knows. Maybe it's the only one he can remember. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Sally, connect me with the police. Because <laughs> he wants and to report his death. So he calls a sex line. <laughs> and the people in the sex line are wearing costumes, which is ridiculous. Right, and Sally always wants to do a whole full, like, sex line thing anytime he show, anytime he calls. Even if he's, like, trying to call the police or has, you know, is in a hurry for something. <laughs> yeah, like... I I didn't understand this bit at first, but then I realized I don't think there's any understanding to do. Oh, it's just, you know, more more sex and more breasts because Sally always takes her boobs out when she's talking on the phone. <laughs> Working at a call center, no less, a sex call center. Because, like, so, everyone there is in costumes or, like, has yeah, stuff. Out. Like, yeah. <laughs> this guy dressed up like a leather daddy is like, it's it's a phone. You don't mm-hmm. need to dress up. I'm not wearing a suit right now. No. <laughs> I have recorded every episode of this podcast in pajama pants. <laughs> yep. Yep. So he gets a hold of uh, our our lady cop, Beverly, who's sort of like the competent one. <laughs> now, she plays a much bigger role in the next one, doesn't she? She's like one of the I main ones so. there. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I'm I'm pretty sure she she refers to Cody a few times in the subsequent ones, uh, but I don't think he reappears. I can't remember because there's a bunch of these. Uh, um, I, yeah, the only other one I had seen is Hard Ticket to Hawaii, right. and I I would remember if Cody was in that. Yes, uh, they definitely mention him, and they use his boat like they're borrowing his boat, but he's not present. Yeah. He's like, Cody, Abilene, I should have known you'd be involved with this. I was like, why? <laughs> I mean, I guess because it's this whole sex thing. <laughs> <laughs> but so they find the the blackmail photos of Anita specifically. 
not the Liza ones and not the Stuart ones. There's so many. I, I couldn't <laughs> I could not keep track of who had which photos. Shane was or, just blackmailing everybody. It, and yeah. that, that's sort of necessary because everybody needs to be a suspect. Mm hmm. So th this is where Maid Marian tells the bad guys everything we know up to this point. It's like, okay, they've found Anita's blackmail photos. They've called in this cop. So we, we get everybody caught up. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, now, well, not me. I still don't know no. what's going on. Uh, so uh, Cody has sex with the lady cop, Beverly, in the pool house, which is how yeah. the, the hidden camera is discovered. Oh, yeah, he, he finds the remote control for the hidden camera, uh, takes a few shots, and then is like, hey, look at this. Check it out. <laughs> He's like, Cody. He's like, I didn't put it there. It was, it was the bad guy. I'm showing it to you now. I certainly wouldn't use it to blackmail. I'm a good dick. <laughs> yep, yeah. Oh, Cody, you're definitely telling the truth. He definitely is. He is definitely telling the truth. And then two thugs show up in a Ferrari to kill them. Different thugs, Different no thugs. less than yes. yeah. They're not the bodyguard or the bodybuilders and the guy. Uh, these are, I think, bullet guys. I don't remember. They're yeah, they're not that interesting. They they don't make it out of this scene. Uh, and like yeah. even though they have the drop on the guy, like they realize that there are people coming and they have the drop on him, but Cody misses because Cody is incapable of firing a gun at something. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh beverly is like she's she's getting her gun out and trying to go after these guys and cody just runs right in front of her and well points... first oh, so there, there's the yet? two guys so there, okay. there she, there's the one guy that they have the drop on he's coming into the room and cody misses and beverly kills him and right right like cody had cody had done the whole one-liner thing he's like go for it make my day and oh yeah like, as the guy's the dying to, uh, beverly Eastwood. yeah as the guy dies like after beverly has shot him she turns to cody's like go for it make my day are you serious <laughs> <laughs> and he's like come on i'm like, trying oh, on. i'm having fun and then like they go after the second guy and Cody, this is when he jumps in front of her. <laughs> and yeah, is... like, yeah, she's got like a clean shot, but he jumps in front of her. It like basically knocks her over almost. Yeah, she has to shoots... like go around him. He shoots a he flower shoots... pot. He shoots a parasail. <laughs> <laughs> Does not shoot the guy. And Beverly just pushes him out of the way and kills the guy. <laughs> and she keeps giving him this look like, like come on, you know, I'm the one. Me. Yeah, I'm the gun person here. <laughs> You're, you, you fire a different gun. And they're like, well, we know Lady Lillian knew we were here, but she couldn't be a suspect. Uh, and she's not. Oh, yeah, no, she wasn't, was she? She's not. Uh, like, they, they know... Like, they, they figure, like, she's too upstanding, so they just reject her as a suspect and don't follow that, which she isn't, of course. Yeah. Uh, but, like, it's it's setting that's like, oh, it could have been her. It could have been every single person in the movie but Cody. <laughs> mm hmm <laughs> And then we get Buffingtons again. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, yeah, more 
more of that. It's another one. This time they, you know, they beat him again and they, this time he's like, come on guys, I am in this shitty car. This is just not even like a good car. I just borrowed this to, uh, you know, get out of the desert. You, you guys are obviously going to beat me. This is stupid. So they beat him again and he really doesn't care about it, but they moon him with, we are number one signs on their butts. Uh, they kind of remind me also of like the Shelbyville guys from the Simpsons. Yeah. Shake harder, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they go back to the yacht and three thugs show up to, uh, I guess they're looking for the film and the neighbors are over again, of course. Mm-hmm. They're, oh gosh, right. So this is the one where the neighbors are very loudly trying to have sex with him and yeah. he's trying to shoot the thugs and they're still like trying to have sex with him while he's like got a gun and shooting it. And he's like, take cover. There are bad guys coming <laughs> down on the floor. You might die. And he finally manages to shoot straight. But he only gets the guy in the ear. He he clips the guy's ear, but he chases them off. Yeah. And yeah, like a fourth guy comes and also searches the boat, but all of them get away, but they're totally empty handed. So like no one, re- it's it's kind of a null gain here. The, the yeah. thugs know where he lives, but they didn't get anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but police find the blackmail pics of Stuart and Shane. So he gets arrested. Stuart is suspected then of being the one who did it. Which yeah. we know, of course, he didn't because he was not to be blackmailed. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, 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 that's right. Because he was just like, no, oh, fuck. I was like, I don't care. Come on, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Cody goes to the raceway with the film and he notifies Beverly that he's going there. And the maid is eavesdropping on him, so she notifies the thugs. So this makes everybody aware that we're all going to the raceway and all of the characters can go to the raceway together. Yeah. Um, Now, aren't the Bluffingtons at the raceway, too, or they show up at a different racetrack? They're at another. They take him to another racetrack later. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Because so this this is the raceway that isn't involving them. Right. Yeah. This is, oh, right, no, this is the one with June knockers. This is the other June knockers scene, correct. Uh, And Rodney, the the photographer lady that is also a friend of hers. And he gives Rodney the film to develop. And while she's developing the film, those, the thugs show up again, the the bodybuilder guys this time. uh, And uh, machine gun guy. The machine gun guy who now has one ear. Right. And... Uh, they shoot at them and Beverly gets shot, but you know, it's just the classic action hero shoulder bullet wound. Cause she yep. is the action hero character in this movie. <laughs> yes. She, she's, she is the competent one. She's, she, if, if we're talking about, she's the hero, if there is one. Yeah. Like in a traditional Hollywood narrative, she's the Schwarzenegger, right? Like she's the main yeah. character. Uh, Cody is of course still very bad at shooting and cannot shoot at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all through this gunfight, we see June racing laps in her race car. Uh, the, the 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 thugs are just shooting everyone. They shoot some poor dirt biker in the chest. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the bodybuilder is like, come on, why'd you kill that guy? Yeah. 
and like they're they're a little concerned because he's got all these grenades that he's threatening to start throwing around. Like I don't know, man. <laughs> this this doesn't seem like a good way to do this. This seems dangerous. So like Cody gets a hold of the pictures and he jumps into June's race car with June, and with June. The, the thugs chase him in a helicopter. While June tries to have sex with Cody at 180 miles per hour (laughs) while they're being chased by thugs in a helicopter with guns. (laughs) And he's like, no, please. Oh, my God. Why does this keep happening to me? (laughs) (laughs) And like there's an extended good like several minutes before she's like, oh, my God, they've got guns. (laughs) He's like, I've been telling you that. (laughs) Yeah, she's like literally like, oh, my God, complete and total rejection. I cannot believe this. Right. It's like, I can't believe you won't have sex with me at 180 miles per hour in a race car. (laughs) (laughs) How can I be the only person in the world who Cody won't have sex with right now? Right this moment. Yeah, Uh, because she's had sex with him. She presumably must have in the past. They seem to be a couple. I don't even know. I don't know. But uh, notably, when they're going down the road, they speed past Andy Sedaris driving an RV. Oh, is that that was the director? Yeah. Oh, shoot. Okay. He he shows up again shortly after. Uh, So the helicopter lands. They drop off the thugs uh, and Cody hits the bad guy, the main, the the guy with the grenades. He hits him at high speed with the race car, and the dude explodes. He explodes. <laughs> like at first, I didn't realize why he exploded till the bodyguards were like, or to the bodybuilders were like, yeah. told him not to play with grenades. Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> awesome. And then the race car is out of gas, so the thugs pursue. Uh, Cody and June into the desert and they're cornered and it's my favorite Cody line in the movie. It's like, I only have one bullet left and I've never hit a moving target in my life. (laughs) 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 So of course, I mean, they, they come up with the obvious plan in an Andy Sedaris movie. Uh, She distracts the thugs by flashing her boobs and they get it works. (laughs) Of course it works. They get the gun. They wing the second guy. So they they just take his gun as well, and they just leave the two of them mildly wounded and leave. Yeah. Uh, and they they hitch a ride with Andy Sedaris back to town. <laughs> oh yeah, and of course she uses she she uses, uses the boobs to catch him too. Yeah, and the wife's like, oh, we should stop for them. They look interesting. Oh, I was yeah. gonna stop. Oh, certainly. I think that might be Andy's actual wife. Because, <laughs> like, oh. it's definitely the dynamic that they have. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Uh, so at the topless dance club that Jonathan Harper runs, I guess, like, I think that's what it is. I... Uh, <laughs> for some reason, he shows Liza the Shane and Anita blackmail tape. Okay. And I'm, and I'm not quite sure what his end game here is. I think he wants to get more money out of her, but I don't know why he's showing her the blackmail tape of uh, Anita instead of her. She's just disgusted with the whole thing. It's like, hey, I was trying to invest in your business. What is this bullshit? Yeah, right. <laughs> and Cody shows up and he shoots the radio and he accuses uh, Eliza of committing the murders. Because he got the photos, and the photo 
looks like Liza and he he like, you know, does a thing where he puts a stocking over her head. And cuz like he has the photo that uh that uh Rodney developed that Shane took of the murderer when he was being murdered and it's got her it looks a lot like her. It looks he, a lot like her, especially he when, yeah, yeah, when he puts the stocking over her face, it does look a lot like her in the photo. Right. But could be anybody it's kind of a blurry photo right and you know it's through a stocking as well Uh uh because it turns out it wasn't her it does turn out it's not her but the police do arrest her and it seems like it's complete and we get the third buffington race this is the one where it's like let's go to a proper racetrack like okay and of course this time cody is prepared he's driving one of his dad's supercars yep and this one (laughs) This, this one's, one's got, got a jet engine. <laughs> go, go gadget rockets. It's got like a full on jet booster and he uh, trounces them. Oh, yeah. And they're pissed off at him for cheating. But they cheated they, every time. They cheated every time. Yeah. They, they even cheated this time. Just not enough. Yeah. It's like, come on, guys. You basically set the rules. You you made it so that he was going to bookend you with cheating. Yeah. Yeah. So he wins. And that's. That's the end of the Buffington (laughs) saga. Yeah. (laughs) Not they are. They have nothing to do with the conspiracy. They never cross over. Never have anything uh, to do with the main plot. Nope. The the thugs never interact with them. Nobody does. No, nobody else. Like you could lose all of the Buffington scenes and it would make no difference to the plot of the movie. But they are fun. They are fun. (laughs) They're just like, hey, instead of. Can't we just know they got there? Like, can't they just have a race on the way there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, like, doesn't matter that Cody's got other shit going on right now. He's like, no, I'll, okay, fine. I'll drive Car all race. the way to the track. <laughs> uh, we'll reserve time on the racetrack. Because <laughs> I'm sure he can't just go over there and say, hey, I want to use a track for a bit. And he finally figures it all out somehow. I, I don't know exactly how he figures it out, but he does. And he arranges like an Agatha Christie reveal party on his boat. <laughs> uh, t- it turns out that how he figured it out was Sybil Danning told him. Yeah, she left him a key, a note and a self-destructing tape. <laughs> uh, and like, it's OK, Liza's innocent. Uh, and Doug from the CIA is there. And it's like, we we got her out of jail. It's all good. Because everybody's there. Uh, and Cody's like, what I realized is that the person in the picture is right-handed, but Liza is left-handed. Oh, clever. And then he finds the Contessa's note and key and everything in the tape. So she says she used a wax mask to disguise herself as Liza. Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. And okay. So the tape is self-destructing as is the mask. Rad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like, remove the cloth. Now that mask is going to melt in like a minute. And he gives like a ha. Oh, she got me. Good, good. Oh, wow. Uh, and she says she's left for Hawaii. Come, come to Hawaii. Have sex with me. <laughs> Uh, bye, well, Cody. Looking to forward Hawaii. to it. <laughs> and they they reveal that it turns out the whole plot was that Shane and Harper were selling computer secrets to the Russians. Oh right, yeah, <laughs> something about 
the Which Russians. is out of nowhere. <laughs> well, there is a scene towards the beginning where it's like, how are the Russians doing better at us with with computers when they weren't doing better at us right better with better at computers than us before yeah like that that's the initial scene with sybil uh and they set that up and then we hear this lady chamberlain stuff and it's just i don't understand how any of the lady chamberlain stuff has to do with the computer secrets but shane had a lot of different kettles <laughs> you know he, i guess he he uh, had all his different blackmail things going on, as well as selling computer secrets. Yeah, I guess he had so many irons in the fire, he just mixed up which iron was supposed to go in which fire. Yeah, or just having which... sex with too many people. I I mean, yeah. I'm sure Cody can relate. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, like, you, you see it throughout the film. All the sex is, like... It's nice, but like it becomes a problem. Like it starts to interfere with your everyday life. You're just trying to take down a conspiracy, and you just can't. Just everybody wants that dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that is the end of Malibu Express, and what a great time! Just so much fun. Yeah, <laughs> like I just, I just love this stupid protagonist. He's so. He's so he's, good. I wish there, like, I wish we saw more of him in other movies. Yeah, he's so dumb and lo- lovable. Like, he really would work as just a regular action protagonist in like a series of movies. I would have loved to have him somewhere in Hard Ticket to Hawaii. He would have fit in great. Oh yeah, and, and like he's narrating the whole. He's we didn't really talk about it right, that much, he's but he's doing narrating the, tape the whole thing. film basically. Yeah. But like, it's also simple. Yeah, it's it's. Fairly straightforward, and like, it's such a complicated plot. There's so many characters, so many moving point, moving pieces, and like just constantly things happening every scene. But not a lot of them contribute to the flow of the, <laughs> the story. They're just like, ah, eh, this is a fun thing to do now. Let's have another fun race. Yeah, oh, most of the book. plot happens off screen. A lot of it, yeah. yeah. Well, because. You know, Cody isn't the one who's really solving the mystery. He's just, you know, in the midst of it. He's just fucking his way to the end of the script. Yeah. So this is, of course, replaced with Hard Ticket to Hawaii, the next one in the series. Yeah, I've seen this one many times, but... So good. Uh, Snake. (laughs) Cancer Snake. uh, Oh, right, it was a radioactive cancer snake. (laughs) the, The bazooka... Like oh the, yeah with frisbee the on the beach the, the razor the... blade frisbee yeah right oh, with the good movie like crazy uh. crazy movie and and cody is kind of replaced in that one with our new main characters who sort of follow through a lot of them are a couple playboy playmates and, and that's sort of just going to be the main characters going forward you have playboy playmates so that they themselves can deliver their uh exposition they'll just like all take off their clothes and get in a hot tub to deliver it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who, okay. Who's better at, at seducing the ladies, Cody or captain James T Kirk. Ooh, that's tough. I mean, Kirk has to seduce them. Whereas, Oh yeah. He's constantly just, he's fighting fighting them off. off. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I, it's an unusual loss for J.T. Kirk. <laughs> he, yeah. He, he usually takes them, but this is one where, like, even the Enterprise can't back him up. 
Cody's dick beats the Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> this and I think One Punch Man are the only people who could beat the Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a great time. Totally recommend it, especially if you've seen Hard Ticket to Hawaii, because like, that's the one that most people have seen, but not a lot of people have seen any of the other ones. And they're a lot of fun. And this one, I'd say, is pretty much equal to it. Yeah, this one, like, I don't want to say it's better or worse, because this one does things better than the other one, but the other one does some other things better than this one. They're both really good. They're both really worth worth watching. This Um, one has a more compelling central character. And the, like, this card ticket to Hawaii has the benefit of being bug nuts crazier. (laughs) Like, quite a bit more insane. But yeah. This one is more plotty and just uh, like it's it's just so lovable. Like it's it's so easy to enjoy spending time with uh, Darby Hinton as Cody Abilene. <laughs> so any final thoughts before we head on to our second film? Uh, no, no. Um, just keep calm and Cody on. Hmm, that sounded way better in my head. <laughs> that has nothing dated to do with reference. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Do yeah, people still no. do those things? You remember when they were I don't like think the biggest so. thing? I, I don't know, think so. We we had at least one friend who had a had a couple of those prints on their wall. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Uh, all right, we're gonna head to part two. All right, and for our second part, we're talking about the 1983 film Deadly Force, directed by Paul Aaron and starring Wings Hauser. When you need a hero. He's the man for the job. That's what it says on the front anyway. Real generic. <laughs> real ge- oh, real like generic. The title, Deadly Force, the plot, serial yeah, killer. Yeah, uh, the serial killer. Loose cannon cop. Loose cannon cop. Um, he's, had to tur- he's already had to turn in his badge and gun. Yeah, he's a, he's a private investigator now, just like Cody Abilene. Uh, yeah. yeah there, there's, it's, it's very tropey. Like the, everything about the it, mm-hmm. but wings elevates it. And just, there are a lot of weird little elements in just, especially just surrounding wings character. Like he does a lot yeah. of strange things. He's full He's of a character. Strange guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, he, he does a side quest on the way to the airport to do his main quest for starters. Right. And so before we even get to that, there there is a cold open with just a really brutal uh, uh, kill to to like kind of get us into the into the the movements of this X killer, which is the serial killer name. Kind of again very generic, the X killer because he carves an X into their forehead. Although we don't really ever see that. No, we just we see the X has been carved, but we never see him do it. Yeah, and we, we just hear it mentioned, and he's called the X-Killer. Mm-hmm. But, um, we find that we do see his face very early into it, and we right. deal with him pretty early into it, too, actually. Yeah, he's not quite the main bad guy, even though he's sort of the purpose of this. Uh, yeah. he It's weird, because I don't know if he's even the main killer all of the time, but we'll get to that. Yeah, uh, he might, yeah, might not yeah, be. Yeah, there, I, there's another person involved for sure. Uh, yeah, there's hints that it could be. They don't outright say it, but if if you start putting on your thinking hat, there could be more. Right, I, and I think there's at least two. So yeah. this first kill, the the one we see 
like she's she's on she's in a high rise and he grabs her and throws her off the balcony. It's just a brutal splat yeah. uh, to open the movie. And this is uh, the inciting kill of the movie because this is Wing's friend Sam's granddaughter. Yeah. So Wing's uh, after I think we see a bunch of. Uh opening credits of right. view of the town which i guess is is it la yeah it's la that he it's goes LA, to definitely yeah. yeah uh we see wings playing a piano very 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 drunk and <laughs> the other thing i really like he's got this rat bedding wheel oh yeah i forgot about that it, it looks like a roulette wheel but it's got these holes in it instead where the ball Instead of the the slots would go. And yeah, there's a rat and it goes into and you bet on which hole it's going to go into. And I'm just thinking this would be the easiest game in the world to rig. Oh, you could so easily game this. Yeah, Uh, you can train rats. Yeah, Uh, I I just really like that. This is how we're introduced to wings is that he has a rat bedding wheel (laughs) (laughs) and like is drunkenly playing piano and stuff. We learn that he hates to fly. He hates it so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and don't know why, but um, no, we, some we people just do, it. though. Some people it's, just it's, do. Well, yeah, and it's it's like uh, Hannibal from uh, the A Team, right? I think it's Hannibal, or no, no, it's it's B. A. Baracus. He hated to fly, oh. and uh, Mr. T. That was that was one of his things, and I guess this is contemporary with that. Oh, okay, I, I didn't know that. One of his defining character features on the show. Oh, I never uh, saw the A-Team. Yeah, you're not yeah. missing a lot. Uh, okay. <laughs> to be totally honest. Uh, <laughs> so Sal, his his quasi... Like, I don't even know what his relationship to Sal is. Sal is this guy who has a factory he of legal He's the games. Frank Reynolds. Yeah. I think. Hey, you gotta take care of this job for me first. I gotta go to the airport. Do this on the way to the airport. It'd be 20 minutes. I've got this mad bomber in my illegal goods factory, so I can't call the police. I can only call you. So Wings Hauser, who's... Oh, he does have it. Right. His name is Stoney Cooper. Stoney Cooper. That's a great name. (laughs) Yeah, he's the one you call when you don't want to call the cops. Right. Um, Honestly, you probably shouldn't call him either if you're in a situation, but you know... He's the one who they call here. He knows how to diffuse things. It's he's sort Sometimes. of an interesting character in that, like his thing is more. He doesn't really go for violent solutions usually. He's more into just like talking people down or paying people off. That's true. He he does. He would rather not get his hands like like okay. It, it sounds kind of like it. That, I don't know how to say it without making it sound cowardly, but it's like he would rather not get his hands dirty. But yeah, he and does kill people too. Oh, he yeah, he kills people when he needs to. But I I think it's interesting that he is more interested in taking a peaceful path whenever possible because that's because mm-hmm. everybody seems to hate the shit out of this guy when we get back to L.A. It's like L.A. Oh, it's yeah. like maybe that's why the LAPD hate him so much that he didn't want to kill people. <laughs> He's not into using deadly force. Come on, man. You're, you're going to just pay this guy to leave. He's homeless. You, or, he's going to spend it on booze. You got to kill him instead. <laughs> or, or do you think the, the deadly force of the title is the LAPD? <laughs> um, 
I would ordinarily think so, but they're they don't do a lot here. They don't do a lot. They're just kind of wanting to uh, make they're him mostly lose hands. getting yeah. They're, they're they're more interesting in getting rid of wings than getting rid of the killer. Once Wings shows up in town to yeah. deal with the killer, yeah, they—I they, don't know what their whole deal is. Uh, interestingly, uh, Wings has this really buddy-buddy relationship with the cab driver lady. It, it yeah. feels like they were setting up a whole Philly section, like a whole Philly lifestyle that he has there for, like maybe there to be sequels to Deadly Force. Because he has <laughs> all of these cast of characters back in it's, Philly. Oh yeah, he's got all these interesting people. <laughs> like everybody who we've seen so far has been a character right and so he goes to this illegal goods factory and he gets the drop on the bomber but the bomber's like yeah sal was doing my old lady man so wings talks him into just taking a cut of his payment to make him leave <laughs> yeah and, and the guy's like it's like all right i'll give you two thousand it's like five thousand wings like i'm gonna fucking shoot you it's like <laughs> four how much four four is okay yeah they, he, they barter <laughs> yeah so he so he gives the mad bomber to sal and, and sal's like hey he's still wired up for explosives and he's like i don't care i got him out of the the warehouse that's all i was here to do i gotta get on a plane he says quesadilla amigo and leaves <laughs> <laughs> So he flies to Los Angeles and he meets his old friend, Sam, who uh, his granddaughter was murdered by the X-Killer. And I guess she was the 16th victim. We learned that the X-Killer has killed 16 by this point. Maybe there have been yes. some in between because he goes through them pretty fast. Yeah, well, there, they also mentioned that there was like a brief hiatus. Right. Of okay. like a week. Yeah. Because this guy has killed... Uh, yeah, 15 or 16 people in the last nine weeks, which it's a lot. by any serial killer standards, that's insanity. That's, yeah, that's an incredibly high number. Uh, and Wing's old captain shows up, of course, uh, immediately. Yes. And he, he's got to warn him about being a loose cannon. You're a loose cannon. Uh, give me your badge and gun. You already gave me your badge and gun. Now get out of town. Stay get out of out town. town. Don't get involved in this case. You're off this case. You're not even a cop, you loose cannon. And, of course, his wife, Eddie, also is totally not jazzed to see him. <laughs> not <laughs> Back at in town. all. Yeah, so, you know, they're separated because you could just imagine why. Because he's a loose cannon. <laughs> he's a loose cannon. <laughs> uh, he lets himself into her house and sneaks up on them. Yeah. That's and not... He's not a... He's not, I don't like how his character treats some of these people. Yeah, he's he's very strange. Like, it, it's it's a very chaotic character. But, like, he's also been totally unwilling to sign the divorce papers, which is yes. what she's got real beef with him about. And that is pretty fair. That is a very good reason, yeah. Like, yeah. It's not like the captain, <laughs> the no. loose cannon thing. It's like, I'm here to solve a serial killer murder. What are you trying to run me out of town for? Yeah, no, and, and he, he broke into her house. Well, he had a key, but still. He still had a key. Yeah. And I guess she never changed the lock. I uh, guess. Well, he got ran out of town. I guess she figured he wasn't going to come back. I guess. And then... There are other people who don't want him in town. There is a Mr. Ashley who sends some thugs to intimidate him. (laughs) 
so so wings is next step time for a side quest <laughs> go yeah go on another side quest it's like okay i need you to stop spawning thugs in the path between me and my main objective and i can't stop spawning thugs can you stop spawning them for two weeks all right fine well like one of the things that's weird with this is the two thugs who intimidate him and tell him to go home. Yeah. He shows oh, up yeah. at Ashley's lair and then he very easily takes out the same two thugs. <laughs> he kicks he kicks their asses. So easily. He could have just yeah. done it the first time. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Well, I guess he was out in public and he didn't want to make a scene. But that's no. Wingshauser doesn't not want to make a scene, though. I mean, provably in in the rest of the movie, he's totally willing to make a scene. Absolutely. And uh, also, you know what? Maybe just going into their house is how he shows dominance over people. He does like to just sneak into people's places. Uh, and yeah. at Ashley's place, uh, sweet old Granny Ashley directs him to Ashley. <laughs> oh, I don't know if he's alone. He's just upstairs. He might have a guest. It reminds me of the time I was in Albuquerque and I had a guest once. And, and you just hear her trailing off as he's walking up the stairs. With a gun. With a gun. With a gun. He just broke in here. Yeah, like with the gun. And he's like doing the gun, like searching stance. I don't know what it's called, but you know what I'm talking about. When he sees <laughs> the granny and she sees that. Uh, She's not bothered by it. Not and at all. Ashley's I just, know what my son does. Well, yeah, she does know what he does. She and must. He is a creep. Uh, and Ashley is asleep. Uh, but there's a lady in bed with him and she's watching lesbian porn while Ashley sleeps. And uh, Wings is like, okay, I'll, I'll give you the same deal I gave the Mad Bomber. I'll give you <laughs> half of the reward money for catching the ex-killer. And this is where, like, Ashley's, okay, two weeks. You got a time limit of two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and then we see a couple more kills. Uh, first, there's a vict- victim number 17 gets a throat slashed at the bus stop. Is a guy. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that's right. They somebody just finds him slumped over on the bench. Yeah, and in there, there's a montage of Wings contacting a bunch of criminal informants, and Wings and Sam going to a bunch of scuzzy places. Uh, in amongst which we see the 18th kill, where someone is slashed in a bathroom randomly. And like th- this whole thing, it's just like a whole montage. It's it's just pure 80s crime procedural slush, you know, just yeah, yeah. people going to a bunch of scuzzy L.A. locations and talking to people and like being sent to other places. Yeah, well, I, I can't remember the song, but it's like it's not like push it to the limit, but it's some kind of a montage song. Right. And ultimately, they get to this guy, Jesus, who puts them onto a lady named Maria. And he says to talk to her about Warren Stugo. Right. He was he was the guy who was killed on the bus bench. Right. Or found on the bus bench, at least. I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and while they're talking to Maria, we see someone aiming a gun at them from across the street. Uh, uh, this guy is our killer he but he seems a lot more like a hitman than a serial killer doesn't he He sure does yeah and notably when they talk to maria she says they have her baby so like they have 
like they're they're kidnapping people they're holding hostages there, there's a lot more to this than just serial killing obviously oh yeah and and also that she says they um well yeah nothing's obviously. happened so far to indicate that the serial killer doesn't act alone but here we are here we are very quickly and yep. the guy isn't able to shoot them because buses pass and so they go inside and they get a little bit of information but on their way out we see the gunman going back in uh and he and, kills her yeah they just walk they just walk right by him now, which I think was interesting because, like, it, they're in a church, so I mean, random. I think he's dressed as a priest, right? I thought he was just dressed as a. To me, it looked like he was just dressed up like a normal dude, and they just walked by him because it could be. Like, I mean, he it's looks a like a normal dude. Like, yeah, he, he doesn't look. I thought like, he might movie, have been in like seminary robes or something, but yeah, I mean, yeah, he in a he movie, does. Just... He looks like a hitman, but if I saw a guy looking like that on the street, I'd think normal dude. Yeah, just some guy going into a church. So they yeah. don't note him, and Maria gets strangled, uh, like, right behind them. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and meanwhile, we see Wing's wife, Eddie, going to this... I guess she's a reporter, right? Is that her thing? She's a reporter. Uh, she's actually working on the case, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we actually saw, like... <laughs> we saw... Wings like Wings even looked at her conspiracy board that right. she has in her house. She and has commented, her classic like, Pepe Silvia board. Yeah, why why didn't you tell me that you were working on the killer? It's like I absolutely do not want to work on this case with you, Wings Hauser. <laughs> I hate you. Please leave. <laughs> like and and Wings is just like, well, like people are dying though. It's like, ugh, fine. And so she she does reluctantly agree to work with him, but she's yeah. at like this seminar thing. Yeah, it's like this. It's almost like Scientology or Dianetics. It feels a lot like that. Yeah. Um, he, this he guy, does, Joshua Adams. Yeah, Joshua Adams. He's a uh, he, he's like your Brad Goodman from The Simpsons. He's like, this circle yes. is you. It's like you've known me all your life. Uh, he gives like the whole speech about how um, you need to take your own power back or something like that or become the power yeah like it 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 does have a lot of that pseudosciency thing it it does really feel like a scientology seminar of some sort yeah or or like like the secret or something like yeah uh it's a place called the canfield institute uh that's that's interesting how that comes up because i think it we're going to get to it later, but I think th- I thought the cornfield was referencing something completely different when it was when it comes up later on. Oh, OK. But, yeah. The Canfield yeah. Institute. Uh, this part really feels to me like a, a Columbo episode, <laughs> like her interviewing the motivational speaker guy and his whole spiel and all of that. And them just kind of like driving around a bunch of easy to film Los Angeles locations. It really felt like just a columbo episode of tv like more than it feels like a feature film it feels like a tv police procedural especially with all the characters you meet at the start it's like i feel like there's this whole cast you know it does feel a lot like that like Mm. like we're seeing like a lot like a two-part episode of like a season finale of some tv show right wings takes on the x-killer yeah uh, and while Eddie is interviewing the motivational speaker guy, uh, Wings is at home in her apartment, just luxuriating in the bath. 
<laughs> yeah. He, like, after he broke in, she's like, you better be gone when I leave. <laughs> so he's... <laughs> and we, we cut back to him. He's taking his time. Just naked in the bath, having a really good soak. And someone starts shooting at him. That's our killer hitman guy. Really doesn't feel like a serial killer, you know? And clearly not a serial killer. Um, and then... Yeah. And so, like, Eddie interviews the motivational speaker guy, and she comes back home, and uh, they have a really weird sex scene. Oh, yeah, right. It's very strange. just feels weird. I don't like their relationship. Yeah, their their relationship is, is very odd. Like, again, it's I, I feel like it's probably the way it's written is very anodyne, but the way Wings plays it is so unusual that it's sort of gets just a weird energy to all of it yeah well well maybe maybe if maybe it's the kind of thing like i don't want to use that stupid meme but maybe this is the kind of movie you couldn't make in 2022 like like it feels like he's stalking her and kind of like well and yeah. it's, it's that thing th- this is another thing that's similar to the kiss her until she likes it thing that we we saw oh, used yeah. in the thing it, the well, specifically the won't sign the divorce papers because he knows he can win her back. And I and that's sort of that. a thing. Yeah, that's a really gross one. And that's something that I feel has sort of phased out over time, but was really common in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, yeah, that you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, so we see another kill. We see a maid murdered outside the Bonaventure Hotel, which is, I think, victim 20 now. I do believe we're on 20. That's a lot of kills in a short that's amount of time. That's like that is a hitman and not a serial killer. That and is, this, that's a that's a freaking that's a rampage. That's what that, that is a is. rampage. That's a spree. Like uh, a hitman. I don't think hitman even. Well, no, I'm I mean, not it's an just, expert on the world of hitmen, but you know, no, it's 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 heavily it's amplified. A movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's a movie villain. Movie body counts are always way higher unless you're talking about the pandemic. Right. So. This is where, for some reason, Wings Captain shows up and he's like, I want you out of town. I'm going to issue an arrest order. <laughs> it's like, catch the killer, man. I'm 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 a private investigator know. going after a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you want me out of town? I want to know what Wings did. Yeah, what did we he have do? no we don't idea. find out. We do not find out what he did. There is no suggestion of it. I assume it happened in a previous episode of Deadly Force. <laughs> Previously on Deadly Force. <laughs> You're a loose cannon, Wings. Oh, you could take my badge and gun, but I'll get another one. <laughs> so Wings has a theory that most of the murders are distraction murders and that there are only a few people that they were trying to kill. And then the other ones are just to throw people off the scent. That's a good theory. My theory. That is, has happened. Yes. That's yes. the aspirin killer. That, that was, that was a thing. Like my theory is mm. that uh, a few people are committing murders. One of the things they say is that the only thing murders have in common is the X in the forehead. Right. Nothing else in common. No M.O., no nothing. Right. So a few different people are doing the dirty work, and we only ever see the one. That's yeah, I think, I, think. That's, 
I think that's very likely as well. It could just even be copycats who are just like there were so many serial oh, killers active in thing. Los Angeles in the eighties. Like this oh, was man, I could kill my I can kill my ex and then just put an X in it and they'll think it's the X killer and not me. Never mind that they might think you're the X killer. Also, right. yes, also like they might think I'm the X killer. I'll be famous. <laughs> I mean I don't know why they talk like this. Yeah, in Los Angeles, I'm not sure. It's uh, yeah, not, not no, a common accent there. Not really. Uh, so Eddie gets a panicked call from this lady, Deborah, And she's at like, it seems to be like a prop warehouse. Yeah, well, I think that this is the warehouse that Wings, uh, in a couple of seasons after he's down on his luck, goes through a heel turn. He will eventually take over this warehouse and turn it into a laser tag arena um, and then convince Sybil Danning to come over from Hawaii mm. and um, and they're going to have a good old L.A. Bounty. But that's not going to happen for a few years. So L.A. Bounty is like a sequel to Deadly Force. You consider that. Like and, that right? uh, yes, it's a sequel to Deadly Force okay. and the Sidaris thing. OK, I see. I see. Yeah. Uh, so they don't find Deborah at first, but they do find the killer and fight uh, and they do find Deborah's dead body over the course of the fight. And then it's time for a car chase. You got to have a car chase in an gotta 80s have police a car procedural. Chase. Yep. <laughs> and they chase so, him to the Canfield Institute. He just makes yeah. a beeline right for it. And then he like goes over the wall and there seems to be a party going on there right now. There's a whole big thing. Wings just drives his car right onto the lawn. There's all these rich people. Oh, monocles just flying everywhere. Well, I never. Yeah. And Eddie is attacked by, like, they, they get into the house and Eddie is in a room and the ex-killer comes in a window and attacks her. And then yeah. the Joshua Adams, the motivational speaker guy, shoots him. Shoots him. And he's just like, I, I just, I wasn't thinking. I just, I shot and I just... I wasn't thinking. And, uh, well, the ex-killer is caught. The ex-killings are done. And everything's all wrapped up in a neat little package. Wings, why do you look so upset? Because we still have half an hour left in this movie. Well, also, Joshua gets the reward now. And that's a oh, big problem for Wings. That's a big problem for <laughs> Wings because that is the only reason he wanted to come down into this city and deal with all of the bullshit. Well, it's not only that, but he's already promised half of the reward to a criminal. <laughs> yes. And he comes to collect immediately. Ashley shows up. He's like, mm -hmm. so someone else got that reward. We got a problem here. <laughs> <laughs> it's hinted that the, the police captain called Ashley. It's very it's like, likely. All right. We got rid of the ex killer. No now we got to get rid of Stoney Cooper. Yeah. yeah. No excuses. This guy leaves now. Yeah. Uh, and the, the uh, uh, wings and I think Eddie is with him. They they drive through a warehouse to escape him. Yeah. So it's around. Oh, they do some weird thing with the composite drawing. No, oh, there, first they a few put together. First. Yeah. So wings believes that Canfield is, like he's like, OK, this guy was clearly headed for Canfield. So there's more to yes. it. And he starts looking into uh, the pasts of these guys. And he finds that a bunch of them uh, are connected to this prison. 
Soledad prison. And the killer, yeah. the ex-killer, dead now, uh, was a guard at this prison. Yeah, so um, digging deeper, uh, I can't remember how they come across this information, but they find out this guy, something Fulton, was basically... He was basically, you know, the legendary prison king that you always hear about, like the guy who re- the inmate who really runs the show. Right. They talk to this guy, Lester Strand, and he they, they have a couple names. There's Warren Stugo and Harvey Benton. Harvey Benton is the ex-killer. Yeah. And um, Strand is actually the the husband of one of the victims who is right. And he's he's at the prison right now. Yeah. And we learn that. I, I, was it Stugo or Benton who got lit up like Cropsy, just burnt up? Uh, um, I, I think it was Benton. Benton is yeah. like the, the ex-killer. He's all burnt, right? I think so. Right. I so hmm. that that's sort of the background. I can't remember. One of them was. They, they mentioned that. And that uh, Robert Fulton is the guy who was running the place. And they, they show Lester a whole bunch of the victims. He's like, yeah, I know this one and this one and this one. Uh, so they're like, OK, uh, this all seems to be related to some prison conspiracy then. Um, yeah. And it's it's they, they pull out the identikit and start talking to Lester about it. And they get him to go through the identikit. And Fulton turns out to be Adams now. What a surprise. Yeah. It's so shocking. How who yeah. else could it be, honestly? <laughs> uh, he had that he had that air of someone who is like, oh, this guy is absolutely up to no good. He reminded he reminds me of what's the guy's name from Twin Peaks? Uh, the one who's also Leo. trying to hook up with. No, no, not Leo. The oh. one who's trying to hook up with Lucy. Uh, not Andy, but the department store guy, I think. Uh, um, the one who might be the father of Lucy's kid, uh, Andy's romantic rival. Oh, What's his name? Dick. Yeah, Dick. yeah. He reminds me of that guy, and I, and I was surprised that Dick in Twin Peaks didn't end up to be more of a dick than he was. Yeah. So Fulton, her Joshua Adams. Uh, he's. I, it seems to be a cult that he's running. Like, it really seems a Scientology thing, but like he's moving into politics. So the plot has been that he's been killing these people and hoaxing a serial killer just to clean up his shady past so he could go yeah. into politics. Just people who know <laughs> his identity. Yeah. Um. So, oh, yeah, that's right. So the cornfield thing, uh, Wings calls the... TV station and finds out that Eddie is in the cornfield. And for some reason, I thought that this meant that, that this was slang for Eddie being punished for, I don't know, something, I guess hmm. not getting the, the scoop on the X killer. Like, you know, put it in the cornfield. Right. So, yeah. It's a good life. Yeah. But I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if that's actually, that's not at all the reference they were going for, but I thought it was. And I was like, but it doesn't make sense. No, I think they're referring to the Canfield, which oh, the, is, no, the, is the name of the institute. They, they reveal yeah. that later, but yes, <laughs> no, I thought it was like, ah, cornfield reference. I wasn't expecting that. Hmm. Also, it doesn't work. No. Because uh, that's so, not what it was. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so 
we we have Joshua Adams giving his big evil revealing speech, and there's a big standoff, of course. Of course. Um. And yeah, he's. You know, I'm kind of getting a Jonestown vibe from him now. Yeah, kind of. I mean, like he does feel like a cult leader. He does. Um. So yeah. the uh, wings kills the goons, and Eddie is taken hostage at first. Um. Oh yeah. Right. So. <laughs> At one point, Joshua pushes her out, and Wings almost shoots her in the head. Yeah, he, he's like uh, <laughs> moving her around to like use her as a shield, and like also he kind of wants to make Wings shoot her just to oh yeah really fuck with him. Yeah, and he shoots Wings. He, Wings gets shot in the leg. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh gosh, what? <laughs> how does how does he end up getting him? I don't remember now. There's just like it's it's a whole giant heroic bloodshed sequence. Uh, it it concludes ultimately with uh, Adams gets into his getaway car, but he gets exploded. Oh, it explodes! Yeah, Wings shoots it, and it he shoots the trunk, and the thing explodes, and it flips and turns and explodes again, and he gigantic dead. explosion. He's very very fucking dead. He is absolutely dead. Uh, and yeah, that that's pretty much it. Like again, it, it is so anodyne. Like all, all of the basic <laughs> things happen. Is like so... wings called by old buddy who wants him to come back to deal with something, and everyone from his past is there, and they don't like him, and he's a loose cannon cop, and there's I'm a serial the killer. You're back in the game. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> and, One more job. And then oh, it's a conspiracy, and. Uh, the it was the only other character who was involved in the conspiracy of course the the only other character in the movie like it's yep. all very basic like this isn't a great movie but it is a fun watch because it's just the wings of it all is definitely a big yeah. part of it i really enjoy watching this guy <laughs> he's really fun like he he plays this character i don't think was written like a crazy person but he plays it like a crazy person and I think he got the subtext that wasn't intended to be there. He adds an extra layer of energy to it that that makes it a lot more interesting. Uh, hmm. And like it's it's well shot. It's nice looking. It's as it's got that good eighties L.A. nightlife look. It's it's yeah. you know kind of low light most of the time. It's mostly set at night. You got a lot of just freeways and. Uh, lights of buildings and stuff and i i'm just totally into that shit it's such a good uh just chill vibe movie despite again just being about a serial killer and cops and all of this shit oh you might know this um because because you'd be more familiar with it than i am but mm. is the uh is the canfield institute like i think i've seen it before is it that planetarium you know uh, the one I'm talking about. Griffith Griffith Planetarium? It might yeah. be. It looks a lot like it. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, I, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, there is a guy named Canfield who is a motivational speaker. He's he's one oh. of the guys who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. I, oh, I don't, no way. <laughs> I don't imagine that it's supposed to be based on him, but... <laughs> Kind of well, that'd be a thing. little too. That'd be a little too on the nose if it was. Maybe, <laughs> or maybe bit, not. Maybe. You know, I mean, Citizen Kane was a direct attack on one politician. He wasn't even a politician. He was a newspaper man. Oh, William Randolph first. Well, it's well, a direct attack on him. So this could be a direct attack on. 
guy, <laughs> the guy who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul? That would be funny. Yeah. I, I think this might be prior to that. Uh, yeah, I, I, probably. Because this is 83. Chicken Soup for the Soul feels like circa 90 to me. But uh, it's I don't remember be, when it came out. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> That'd be weird. That would be weird. So yeah, not not a whole lot more to say about this movie. It's fun if you are into this specific style of movie. It's a good watch, but it is not an essential by any means. No, no. If you like Wings, if you like this kind of thing, do see if, it. Oh. I, I'd say yeah. If you like Wings, watch the movie. If you don't care or are indifferent to Wings, or if you don't like them. Well, I mean, if you don't like him, it already seals it. But if you're indifferent, yeah. you'll be indifferent to the movie. Most likely. It's it's a very easy ambient watch for the most part. Because, like, it's, you you can see every step of the way what's going to happen. It, it's very laid out in a very tropey and common way. But, no, it's, it's totally watchable. Yeah, but also very generic. I remember, <laughs> I remember Malibu Express a lot more than I remember this. And that's why I was like, wait. Wings shot the thing and it exploded? Why didn't he miss? And they're already blurring together for me. Right, right. <laughs> so any last thoughts before we head to our final part? Um, well, yeah, so this is near the beginning of the Wingshauser uh, Cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was all I, that was all I okay. had to say. I wasn't going to work with that. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay, well, we'll head to part three. All right. And we're on to our third and final section where we talk about movies watched in the past week and discuss what we're going to watch next week. Uh, but first, we, we got a couple things that we got together and watched on the weekend. Uh, we watched uh, Shaolin Mantis, another of the great Shaw Brothers classic kung fu pictures. Um, in this one... Uh... A guy infiltrates a blah 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 kung fu, learns mantis, kills people. Uh, no, this one's this one's good. He's got to. They're all good. They're all He's, really good. This the fight choreography in this one is really spectacular. Like this uh, one is really good on that front. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he's sent to infiltrate like this family that's uh, might be might be starting a rebellion against the emperor and sent to collect evidence. He ends up, I guess he falls in love with the daughter. He ends up married to her anyways. Well, the daughter is very into him right off the bat. She, oh, right from the get-go. She's great. I really yeah. love her. Uh, the, the thing is, he's sent by a corrupt emperor yes. to root out spies against him. And he goes, and these people are indeed spying against him, but they're sort of in the right. They, they should be taking this guy down. Uh, yeah. But... They're also kind of bad guys because they're they're so wound up in their conspiracy that they're not willing to find out if he's a good guy or not. And they like it just becomes him battling everybody. It's weirdly downbeat. It's sort of really grim by the end because like yeah. there's no way out like, of it. He's he's in an unwinnable situation. And, and this one actually follows him to the end, too. Whereas. Right. Whereas uh, usually it's just over when the fight's done and we just see the credits and they walk off to presumably a happy life or, you know, you can kind of guess what's waiting for them and it's probably just normal stuff. Now this guy's kind of fucked. Yeah, this one, like, there, there's really no getting out of it in, in a satisfying way for anybody. 
Uh, but it's it's very good. Uh, the the fight choreography is really spectacular, especially the last couple fights. Uh, there's one guy who he's he's the main boss of uh, the the family. He you know he's the grandfather or whatever, and oh, he is yeah, he spectacular. Fights the, he fights with a tobacco pipe. He fights with a tobacco pipe, like an extended tobacco yeah. pipe, and it's so cool. It's just oh, so yeah. rad. Uh, and the other one we watched is Shocking Dark, uh, a classic Joe D'Amato, Claudio Fregasso joint. Claudio Fregasso, uh, Rosella Drudy being the screenwriters of Troll 2. Uh, and it's it's got that feel, but it's like if Claudio Fregasso fell asleep while watching Terminator and then like <laughs> woke up watching Aliens and then wrote a movie based on the two of them. It takes place in the tunnels under Venice, <laughs> which have no water in them and are clearly not. But it's it's supposed to be a like an, a base, a, a secret base yeah. under Venice, because Venice is host to evil, bad, toxic, bad fog um, created by aliens or maybe the government. Oh, no, it's the. um God, what's the name of the stupid company? <laughs> it's something hilarious. The Tubular Corporation. The tubular Corporation. Uh, <laughs> they send they send uh, Terminator Ash to make sure. Um, right. So that that's sort of the big twist is that the android on this aliens team ends up being a Terminator who is out to get them. Uh, and he can travel through time. There is time travel in this. It's set in the future, but they end up in the past. Uh, it's pretty wild. Like the alien, it's it's almost a scene for scene remake of Aliens from time to time, like stealing full scenes of dialogue and everything. Yeah, like like we've got the whole they're in the room scene. But it's uh, totally done in such a bizarre way because they're supposed to be in the room, but you just can't even see them, even though they're there. <laughs> There's, they're not hidden anywhere. You just can't see them. <laughs> well, we we thought at first that there was that they only had one alien suit, and that's why we could only see one alien on screen. But we now know there was at least two. Yeah, because there is two. one scene where we saw two together, but very rarely. Uh, unless, like, did that? Unless they did that thing to make like two of the same person appear on screen at once. Uh, I don't know. I don't think they uh, were doing that much of the effects in this. No, you're right. Uh, but it's it's such a weird movie. It's really fun. Like, I love this movie because it's just it's aliens on a $50 budget with like <laughs> a bunch yeah. of actors who never acted again ever. Uh, uh, Vasquez keeps looking at the camera. Vasquez has been in or a few not things. Not Vasquez, but you she know, fake Vasquez. She's Vasquez. She is yeah. completely, completely a fake Vasquez. And I've seen her in other stuff, but definitely the uh, Sarah, who's the mix of Sarah Connor and Ripley. She. This is the only thing she was ever in. And yeah, the yeah. the quasi Newt, who is obviously like in her twenties, <laughs> just mm-hmm. short also was never in anything else again. Like I looked up those two for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's great. Uh if you are into psychotronic garbage, do see it. <laughs> it's very, very fun. Uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't as into it, but you know, it works. 
well, it works. It's arguable. It's arguable whether or not it works. But if you're entertained, it if you're entertained, then it worked. Indeed. So we have six options for next week. All right. Uh, first ooh, up some, is oh, interesting. First I, up I, is. I, go ahead. Uh, I've I've heard of all of these. I think, which is rare. Mm, indeed. So first up is Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. So obviously I watched the first one last week. I'm kind of getting into rewatching all of them again because I love these movies so much. So the one where Jason is got big and gets the hockey mask? Uh, he does not get the hockey mask. Uh, this oh, one, wow. he just Still wears a sack. That. Sack on oh. his head. This oh, is Sackhead Jason, uh, the only one where he uh, is sort of off model. Uh, also, he's kind of not inherently supernatural in this one. Uh oh. Like he could be taken Except down for the by dro- surviving drowning thing. Well, maybe like <laughs> he he can be taken down by getting kicked in the balls. Like that happens when oh. he kicks in the balls, and then he's oh. taken out for a moment. Like he's a little bit more of a realistic threat in this one, which is really unusual. Although my new theory. So last week I was talking about like the brain slug thing and the, the spirit consciousness moving. My new theory is that Jason is a tulpa. Oh. Because there's this whole storytelling element to this one. And we we go back to like the first 15 minutes of this movie or no, like, I guess the first 10 minutes of the movie are just a recap of the previous movie. And okay. it, it includes the entire scene of Jason coming out of the water and uh, doing all of that. And it sort of feels like it's being presented as a dream sequence like that's a dream that she had so he didn't appear as a boy but i i feel like it created the myth of jason and since the mother is dead and her rage and like the the rage of pamela Voorhees combined with uh all of the myths surrounding jason because, you know, they've been building it up. It coalesced into like, a, oh, oh, it, it, it just coalesced, created like a spirit chasing monster creature. Yeah, with of? like the violent death of Pamela Voorhees and the rage that she put into the universe. I feel that this is what creates Jason. Jason is created out of this reality and all the storytelling around him because we we focus on storytelling a lot we have people telling this story around the campfire a couple times in this movie uh and they really focus on jason jason's mom doesn't really come into it when they talk about it interesting okay that's that's an interesting theory and also interesting about this movie it is set at a camp counselor training camp instead of a camp so it's a bunch oh. of camp counselors all getting together in a house to train to be better camp counselors, which is the perfect thing for Jason to attack. <laughs> now, what do we, now, everybody, what do you do when the machete-wielding maniac comes? We're never going to have to use this. Oh, I've been killed. See, this is what happens. Now, good job, Jason. Wait, Jason? This does also notably have uh, one of the more notorious kills where a guy in a wheelchair gets the machete in the head and then goes down a, st- a flight of stairs in the wheelchair. Oh. Classic, classic. Uh, best in the movie. Uh, and, and then a Mac and me, uh, the Mac head shows up and is like, Ooh. Ooh. wait. 
and then next... Conan gets angry. <laughs> uh, next up is Evil Dead 2, which is, you know, kind of the perfect Sam Raimi movie uh, where Bruce Campbell becomes a leading man, becomes the hero. It's just a symphony of slapstick violence, and there's so much goo. <laughs> I, I've, since we've talked about it, I feel like I came off I, I feel like I came off too harsh on Evil Dead um, because I wasn't like I, I don't I didn't dislike it, but I feel like I sounded like I did. Yeah, like it's it's a decent movie. Like I, I totally get not feeling that into the first Evil Dead. It does take it's it's bold like it's a it's a bold flavor it's so loud it's so violent it's so gruesome and it plays it straight even though it's really weirdly slapsticky for how violent it is yeah like i i I come around on it a little bit since then though yeah and like evil dead 2 is sort of the perfection of it it's the one that's like okay we're not going to do it as horror we're going to do the same thing but we're going to do it as comedy and we'll they they sort of remake it and sort of do a different thing. Like it, it's it's a quasi remake, but yeah, it's just so I, much fun. It's a classic. I only just vaguely remember it because I saw it hmm. once in the nineties. It's one I've seen so many times. I've probably seen it the most of the series. Maybe Ooh. Army of Darkness. Like both of them, I've watched many 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 times. Cool, cool. Uh, next up is The Matrix Revolutions. It's on a real sequel kick this week, obviously. So so this is the one with the rave. Or no, last one was the one with the rave. Last one had the rave, yeah. Uh, Reloaded has, has the rave. This one has the Dragon Ball Z fight at the end. Yeah, the, I'd say the fights in this are a lot better than in Reloaded. It just the effects are much more accomplished. Uh, in Reloaded, it definitely feels like they had to rush a few things to make the date, whereas by the time Revolutions came out, they'd kind of perfected a lot of this stuff. Yeah, this came out like a few years still after uh, Reloaded, didn't it? I can't remember um, how quickly after. I think they were quite rapid after. I think it was like a year. Uh, well, Let's see, yeah. No, they were both the same year. They were both in 2003. Oh, jeez, you're right. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm thinking of, like, I'm thinking of Lord of the Rings that came out really far apart. Oh, okay, yeah. No, these came out really close together. I remember seeing, like, I did see both of them in theater. I saw Reloaded twice, because when I saw Reloaded the first time, I had the most annoying person in the world sitting next to me in the theater. Have I told this story? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. So I, you know, I went to see it opening night and there was someone, someone very enthused about the movie sitting next to me. Right. Uh, right. And every single fight sequence was greeted with, oh my God, that was so cool. Oh, was so cool. Oh, it's so cool. 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 Entire movie. The entire movie, every sequence. And it was so distracting that, like, I had to go see the movie again to figure out that I didn't like it. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh. I mean, I didn't hate it. I I do think there's a lot of things in Reloaded that, even at the time, I really liked. And it has grown on me as well. And Revolutions has grown on me a lot. Because when I saw Revolutions, whatever, like, six months later... I was already pretty down on Reloaded, and then I hated Revolutions to death. And it took me a like I didn't rewatch it until last year, but it's grown on me way more because 
while I do think it's really shaggy, it's way too long. Uh, I don't care about Zion at all. Any of the stuff that happens in Zion can go suck. Uh, and it's too Jesus-y. I, I don't like the... <laughs> I, I feel yeah. like they lean too much into the Neo as Jesus stuff at the end. Yeah, especially since it feels like the whole point of two is that he, it, he wasn't really. Right, the chosen one narrative is bullshit, and that's sort of a whole thing. And I, I get that, like, this one is probably more interesting in light of the new one that's come out. From what I understand, it sort of works a lot at recontextualizing what happens in this one. Okay. But I think this one's really interesting. It's got a lot of cool ideas. The effects are so much better. Um it's just kind of totally nuts and and it's sort of fascinating to watch as just a weird spectacle of the way this franchise ended with you know coming from the matrix which is just this perfect blockbuster that everyone adored to this very weird very anime very strange yeah. technoir thing <laughs> yeah that's the thing like i remember public opinion was pretty much unanimously in favor of the first matrix and yeah. this, the, the second and third were a lot more, I would say not even mixed, but a lot more negative overall. Oh, some, some people did love it. But, it it was know. very negative. Like the, the third one was a flop. Like the third one lost money, I think. Oh, wow. I didn't. Uh, dang. At least I, I, I don't think it made back its money in North America. I think it ultimately made it back internationally. But Oh, but I could see that. But like Reloaded still made a lot of money, but then by the time Revolutions came around, people were really wary of it, and then most people just didn't go to see it. And then, you know, people who did hated it. So it, it just it, it's it's taken a long time for people to come back around to it, and, and that's sort of what's happened with almost every Wachowski's film, other than The Matrix. Yeah, the nobody Matrix likes was... them when they come out. <laughs> Oh man, I, I when I first saw it, it was Cloud Atlas. Um, I I saw it. I I loved it at the time. I told one of my friends, and he saw it and he hated it. But he people kept hated that movie. Watching it because he wanted to figure out why I loved it. I'm like, it, don't don't do this to yourself, man. If you don't <laughs> like it, I like that. You movie. can stop. You can stop. That's a it's fascinating, okay. weird movie. It's interesting. But I think all um, the Wachowski's movies are very interesting. I really uh, like, need to watch more of them because, honestly, um, Revolutions and Reloaded kind of turned me off of them for a while. Yeah. I mean, like, I kind of came back to them not long after because Speed Racer was really great. And yeah, I love Speed I still Racer. I got to watch that. I got to yeah. get a copy of Speed Racer. I actually don't have it. I really oh, should because wow. I love that movie. I've seen it a bunch of times. Because I how, just know how, people who had it. <laughs> I, I guess. I was like, a movie that you like but don't have? It's crazy, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, and, and like, Cloud Atlas is fascinating. It's just such a huge, weird thing. And uh, what's the other one? Oh, Jupiter Ascending is fascinating. Oh, right. Like, I got to watch that. Is Channing Tatum as a dog with rocket boots? Channing Tatum as a dog man with rocket boots. And you've got... Uh, Eddie Redmayne as weird space Hitler. And uh, it's just so weird. Like I didn't like it at the time, but I've never stopped thinking about it. So I do need to go back to it sooner or later. <laughs> I don't like it, but I can't stop thinking. Oh, that's, that's a feeling. Maybe that's why that's, maybe that's how my buddy felt with cloud Atlas. 
Yeah, and that is totally a thing with me for a lot of movies. And it's like, I didn't like that, but I can't stop thinking about it. And that's sort of where I was with Tenet. And Tenet, it was like, it wasn't even I didn't like it. It's like, I don't know where I'm at with it, but I cannot stop thinking about it. Mm. One of those sort of things. Uh, next up is Minor Premise. Uh, this is one talked about quite a while back. This uh, has Dana Ashbrook in it, Bobby from Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah, right. This is quite a recent movie. Uh, Ashbrook is not one of the main characters. He's uh, he's like a father figure. or he, he's, he's an older scientist who worked with the main character's dad. And so it's this guy. He's a scientist, and he's not emotionally well. Uh, and he's been having blackouts because he's been doing scientific experiments on himself, which are sort of MK Ultra experiments, essentially. Oh, he's developed a mind wipe helmet and (laughs) he's got this whole thing, this this computer program that maps the brain. Okay, that he's like he's working on it. It's it's his dad's work and his dad died like earlier in the year or the previous year. And he's he's not dealing with it well. Hmm. And he finds a notebook which has some equations in it and he runs the, the equations in the notebook through the computer and he finds that it does all of this remapping and he runs the program and like through his brain and fractures his brain into 10 pieces okay his his psyche gets broken into 10 pieces each of them have six minutes of each hour oh god oh gosh that sounds exhausting he can't remember what the others do so, like, the f- there's him for the first six minutes of the hour is just him as his normal self. And then yeah. there are nine separate individual pieces, like fragments of personality that dominate all of the other ones. And uh, his girlfriend shows up, who's also a scientist, and they kind of just have to solve it before uh, all of these rapid changes in brain chemistry uh, make his entire brain burn out and kill him. That sounds... That sounds interesting. It's pretty interesting. Like it's, it's it's very strange. Uh, it's uh, I I don't like the guy very much. I don't like the character all that much. He mm. he does seem to be kind of a turd. Uh, but that's sort of part of the story, I guess. Too. Uh, it's it's very interesting. It's it's quite unusual. Okay. Cool. Uh, next up is Action Point. Which is sort of like a an, a jackass extended universe movie. <laughs> oh, okay, this so this is the one that's kind of based on that whatever action the bad park action park in in yeah. New Jersey. It's very very loosely based on it. Oh, okay. Uh, more loosely than I expected. Unfortunately, it's it's like Johnny Knoxville in 1979 running a really crappy amusement park and. Uh, a, a sort of fake Six Flags place shows up nearby and it's taken their business away. So they create a bunch of really dangerous rides and uh, say no rules in the park. And then they kind of campaign to have their own park shut down to draw attention to it. And there's not much of a plot. And all of that is really, really thin. And it's kind of a bad movie, but it is a lot of stunts. Like it's a lot of just jackass style stunts on these things like Johnny Knoxville hurt himself real bad making this movie <laughs> from what I hear. I and there, there's, 
Go ahead. I never got into Jackass. I, I was I was sort Not, of into it. Never seemed like my thing. Yeah, I, I was kind of into it in high school, but like that's so long ago. Uh, I I haven't seen the movies, but I really should sometime because I hear they're a lot of fun. But this one, like, it has a lot of those stunts, and like some of them are you know pretty impressive, but uh, there's not a lot tying it together, and the plot is like just all of the character interactions and everything are are very stupid like there there's a, a thing introduced in like the first scene with the daughter in the flashback she's like i want to go to a clash concert and he's like i i'm into this let's see a clash concert later and you know immediately they're not going to go to the clash concert and it's going to be a breaking point at some point in the movie and they'll have to resolve it <laughs> you know that kind yeah. of thing okay and last up is the day the earth caught fire oh um last summer yeah, so this is a fundamental nuclear angst movie. Uh, it's it's the U.S. and the Soviet Union both do the world's biggest nuclear bomb tests ever at the same time on the same day. the The Soviets did it secretly; they didn't announce it. So, uh, what is the point of having a doomsday weapon if you don't tell anyone about it? Right. <laughs> so it knocks the it knocks Earth off its axis, and it's spinning spiraling into the sun <laughs> so it gets hotter and hotter uh and they're it, what's really interesting about it is it's not starring scientists or the military trying to figure it out it's just a british tabloid newspaper trying to piece together what's happening oh really yeah so it's kind of a newspaper movie oh, <laughs> with just like you know the these british newsies trying to figure out what the hell's going on? Why why has the weather gone completely insane? Why is it getting extremely hot? Hmm. Very good movie. Uh quite good. Yeah. Right on, right on. Um So those are our six. All right. Well right now it's between Evil Dead Two and The Day the Earth Caught Fire. Both very um, good. Yeah. I do Well, seeing Evil Dead does make me want to go and see Evil Dead Two. That is fair. Like you just did watch the first one. It's it's kind of a, a a natural to head right into part two. Yeah, yeah. Especially since, like you say, it it uh, takes off. Like it's the first one, but like it c- continues on afterwards. I think you said last week. Essentially, it does sort of the first movie in like a, a, a digestible fifteen minute form, and then moves on from it to like introduce new characters and have new people come in and it sort of streamlines the first movie by taking out all of the other characters except the girlfriend and ash okay um let's do evil dead 2 then all righty uh, it's uh, a because, great movie it's so much fun. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i i'm overdue for a re- rewatch i think absolutely if you've only seen it once i mean i've seen this movie so many times it's so rewatchable it's got my favorite it was the 90s yeah it's it's got my favorite adr line in history work shed (laughs) (laughs) okay so we only have three additions to the stacks this week uh first up is fx do you remember the fx tv series I remember hearing about it, but I never watched it and never found out. I, ne- I didn't know anything about it. It was okay. It was I, one of my blind spots. I totally watched it at the time. I had not seen the movie when it came out, but I did see it on cable at some point later. Uh, it's this movie and the TV series did the same thing. So there's this guy who's an effects artist. I think he's Australian. 
and the Justice Department wants him to use his special effects technology to stage an assassination on some uh, crime boss or something. Okay. Or no, it's it's a witness. They're they're having him uh, stage an assassination on a witness, and then he's double crossed by them and accused of the murder, and he has to use his effects work to uh, get out of it. <laughs> okay. It's, it's like the whole thing is just him using Hollywood special effects to you know uh deal with criminal organizations and get away from the justice department and all of this stuff and that's sort of how the show worked it would be you know he the the crime of the week that you have to solve with special effects <laughs> <laughs> that's cool that's kind of fun uh next up dog day i like a, dogs i like dogs i don't remember if there are actual dogs in this movie this is a uh a, a weird crime movie so Lee Marvin, he's it's it's in France and he's this criminal who has uh, stolen a bunch of money. I, I think it was like a, a an armored car heist. I've seen it before, but it's been a few years. Mm-hmm. And he's in rural France on the run with just a briefcase full of cash. But like his former partners are after him. The police are after him and he's hiding out on this farm. But like the farmers are like. They know he's hiding out and they're trying to twist it to their advantage and they both want something from him as well. Okay. Just dealing with all of this, all closing in on him all together. Cool. And the final edition is Across 110th Street. A really fundamental early black exploitation picture. Uh, stars Yafet Koto and Anthony Quinn as the police who are investigating this gang war in Harlem because some gangsters steal $300,000 from the mob and the mob hits back and blows up a club. And it's just, you know, this whole, uh, violent, crazy thing. Uh, total classic. Again, this is one I've seen before, but not in a while. Great stuff. Cool. Cool. So not a bunch of additions, but you know, we've got lots of stuff on the existing list, of course. Yes, we do. Now I've been thinking we've, been watching a lot of like a lot of kung fu mi- movies lately but never on the sh- never on the show just uh just watching them like when we're hanging out and stuff true true uh so i'm looking at five fingers of death which right on i'm not really i haven't really read but it looks kung fu it is indeed that's the first one in the uh arrow shaw scope collection uh oh, cool so i i think that i think it appears there under the title king boxer uh, this one's a classic. I have seen this one before. It's, you know, just a fundamental, you know, uh, someone joining a martial arts school, going to a martial arts competition kind of thing. But, you know, very cool. bloody. It's kung fu stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, my cat is purring. She seems to approve of the choice. Okay, so five <laughs> fingers of death, we're thinking, and Evil Dead 2 next week. Yeah, let's All do right. it. And that sounds fun. There's a kind of a, an interesting contrast, uh, both yeah. high action uh, uh, type things. Mm-hmm. Well, I figured the last last two we've done ones that kind of work well together. We did zombies <laughs> and then we did uh, crime ish. Well, they're they're both about private investigators. Yeah, that's right. And so let's do Cody loves to investigate privates. He does. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, he doesn't have time for all of them. There's just so many privates to investigate. So many boobs. And so little time. Yeah. 
All right. So next week on the stacks, we'll be discussing uh, King Boxer, aka Five Fingers of Death, and uh, you know the the all time Sam Raimi classic, Evil Dead Two. Right on. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So any last thoughts before we uh, finish up for the night? So many boobs. <laughs> like it truly can't be understated how much nudity there is in Malibu Express. It's like every scene there. Someone is taking their top off and, you know, you, you get Cody's butt a couple times, too. You got the big uh, buff uh, 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 Mr. Universe guys like it's it's a flesh feast. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> it sure is. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks so much for listening and keep watching the stacks.